You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. All right, well, good morning. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word open before you. If you have one, open that up to Isaiah chapter 9. We've been resting in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 7 over the last uh, three weeks. This will be our fourth work, our fourth week in there, uh, looking to see what Isaiah the prophet had to say about this coming Savior. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we've got lots. Gavin's got a bunch in his hand there. Just slide your hand up and uh, you can take that as your Bible, a gift from us. If you don't have one at home, take that. Take that as a gift uh, from this Christmas from us as a church. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 7. We're going to focus mostly on verses 6 to 7. Well, as Christmas is in full effect out there, we're only days away from, from the big day, right? I'm sure like, uh, like myself, uh, as you're traveling around, you're surrounded by a barrage of Christmas music being played everywhere. Kim and I were downtown Calgary this past week, and so whether it was uh, in our car on the way there or on Stephen Avenue or in the mall, uh, there was music, Chris, Christmas music being played everywhere, pumped into every space that we would walk. Uh, and we know that a lot of the songs that are being played out there are secular songs, uh, but there is still a lot of songs being played that are packed with the gospel truth of Jesus Christ, the Savior. On Tuesday, I got my haircut from my favorite barber, Mo, over in the Southwest, and Mo is a Muslim, and all his employees are Muslim. But on their radio in the store, I heard this, Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. And so I'm getting my hair cut and listening to this, and I'm wondering to myself, is, are they hearing this? Are they hearing this good news? Are they wondering about sin? Are they wondering about sorrow and thorns and all of this cursing business far as the curse is found? The other day we were also in Starbucks downtown and it was jammed with all kinds of people and I could hear Bing Crosby singing, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Such glorious gospel truth. I just love those lyrics, and it's being blasted into Starbucks. And again, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, is anybody listening? Is anybody hearing this good news? Are they wanting to know who this newborn king is? Are they wondering who this prince of peace is? What's this peace on earth all about? Was anybody hearing this? I was wondering if they, if they, uh, if they have any kind of hope of a, of a prophesied prince. Do they have any kind of longing for peace that can't even be understood on this side of heaven? And so as I was listening to these things, I was thinking about peace, and, and we're focusing on a Prince of Peace today from the Scriptures, and I was thinking about our own country and, and, and wondering about peace, and I think our perspective of peace here is far too ordinary. It's far too everyday. This message of peace, I think, gets lost in our Western culture, especially here in Canada. I think even at times there's really no effect when we hear about a Prince of Peace coming, there's no longing. There's no power. You know, in our, in our Western culture, especially in Canada, this promise of peace, you know, it sounds good, but I would argue that here it doesn't have a whole lot of allure, a whole lot of power. And I think it's largely because we have a fair amount of peace where we live. We live in a very peaceful Nation. When you look at the Global Peace Index, you can look that up when you go home. Out of 163 nations around the world that are being measured, Canada is rated as the sixth most peaceful nation 
in the planet. You want to compare that to our neighbors in the USA, they're actually 128th on the list. But we are the sixth most peaceful nation. We live in an extremely peaceful country. And I think in many ways, our temporary peacefulness and our prosperity here has diluted our perspective of God's eternal promises of peace. So much so that when we hear these Christmas songs about peace, this Prince of Peace coming, it doesn't really move our hearts a whole lot. We're not seeing the greater reality. We're not seeing the greater need. So what, are, what is this peace? What, are, what is the peace that these songs are proclaiming? Who is this Prince of Peace that is promised? And why should it actually overwhelm our thoughts and elevate our hearts and produce such praise and adoration? Well, as I've been studying the prophesied names, we've been studying together the prophesied names of the coming Messiah from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. We remember these prophecies were 700 years before Christ was even born. We've already learned much about him. We've learned about this Savior that was promised, that he was going to come as a wonderful counselor. He was going to be a mighty king. He was going to be an everlasting father. And today we get to learn and focus our attention on the fact that Jesus came as the Prince of Peace. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of, of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. For to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So we've already looked at the first three names. We're going to focus on Prince of Peace. So let me ask you, friends, when, when you think of the word peace, how would you define peace? What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word peace or the concept of peace? Is it a calm, flowing stream on a, on a sunny summer day? Is it a sleeping baby in your tired arms? Is it a sense of contentment after a long, hard, accomplishing day? Is it that relief that you feel when you hear your teenager coming home late at night when you close the door? Is it freedom from oppressive thoughts or emotions? Is it those times in your relationships when, when there is no more conflict? Is, is it the end of hostility? Is it the absence of war? Friends, peace is all of these things. If you were to open a dictionary, much of what I just shared with you would be a part of the various levels of the definition of peace. But when the Bible talks about peace, when the prophecies reveal a prince of peace, what are these peaceful things that he is promising to bring? And so we ask ourselves, did, did Jesus just come as the Prince of Peace to soothe our thoughts, to restore relationships, to calm our fears, to produce harmony between nations? We would agree that these are all good things, right? As I've studied our text and looked at the Bible as a whole, true peace 
in the eyes of the eternal, perfect plan of God can be boiled down to three major facets, three major kind of categories of peace. And the first one is this. Jesus had to come as a prince of peace to restore his order. He had to come as a prince of peace to restore his order, to bring peace to the kingdom. Again, as our minds are somewhat kind of detracted and disconnected from what real peace ought to be, we need to try to recapture the magnitude of what peace really is, the peace that is being promised by this prophet Isaiah. When we look at the people of Israel and Judah at the time of Isaiah, we need to remember that judgment is coming, right? They were living at a time of great prosperity and peace, but judgment was coming because they were giving themselves to sin, to idolatry, and as you read this, the pages of Scripture and you look at history, you see that judgment did come against those of God's people. At that time, Assyria was, was one of the largest, most powerful nations, and they wanted to extend their land into Israel. They were, they were growing all over the world, capturing land and taking land, and they wanted Israel. Israel was the centerpiece of, of civilization. It was in the Fertile Crescent. It was the crown jewel, and everybody uh, wanted it. And so as Assyria was expanding, Israel resisted. Israel resisted with their own armies, but they resisted ultimately to their own demise. After years of brutal war, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was completely overthrown to the point that thousands of Jews were killed and then hundreds of thousands of Jews were scattered all over the known world at that time, the Jews were carried off to the outer regions of Assyria, and they were never to return. If you ever want to look up something, look up the, the ten lost tribes of Israel. They never returned to their land. Then in 597 BC, it was Judah's turn, the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is. And at that time, it was Babylon. Babylon surrounded and sieged the city Sieged Jerusalem for two and a half years. People were locked up, locked up in the city. And there was mass starvation, there was mass disease, and it inflicted the people. Some of the most grotesque things happened at that time of war. And these were the things that they were facing. 2 Kings 25.3 says, On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in that city that there was no food for the people of the land. They had a spring. They had access to a spring through a tunnel, but they had no food. People were starving. And this went on for, for a while until the summer of 586. And Jerusalem's walls were breached. The city and the temple were burned. It was razed to the ground. And the people were captured and they were carried off 700 miles away into captivity. So when we hear Isaiah prophesying that a prince of peace is coming, we have to think in this context. Our context is so far removed from this. We don't understand this. But what they were facing that was going to, going to come true was horrific. And so a promised prince of peace needs to be understood in their context. Just imagine the words of Isaiah just ringing in the ears of God's people as they're amidst all of this suffering when he says, and they would remember him saying, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, which means that there's a ruler coming. Right? We already know he's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty king. He's an everlasting father. There's a ruler coming. And then it says his name shall be called Prince of Peace. When you're in the middle of war, all you want is peace. Of the increase of government and of peace, there will be no end. This is everlasting peace. This isn't just temporary peace. Peace at that time was a, a scarce commodity. And the promise of peace would be just so much sweeter amidst the suffering of war. And all of this government talk here also reveals that order, order is going to be returned 
through this Prince of Peace. This promised son would finally come in power and he is going to rule on David's throne. Ruling on David's throne to bring peace and order to God's people forever. Isaiah 9-7, it says, On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. So this is just, it's not just temporary peace we're talking about. This is eternal, everlasting, infinite peace. Peace is intrinsically tied to restoration, to restoration of God's order. And there's only one who could fulfill that promise. Even though many kings would come and leaders would come and they would lead Israel to temporary times of peace, they couldn't bring eternal peace. This promise of eternal peace is not temporary And so as Isaiah is looking forward to this eternal child who was to be born, this princely son who was to be given, the only one who could sit on the throne of David is none other than Jesus Christ, born of Nazareth in a manger and swaddling cloths, as we read this morning. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, And told her that she would give birth of the Savior of the world. What did he say to her? He said in Luke 1, verse 31 to 33, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus, Joshua, the Lord of salvation. He will be great and will be called the Son of Most High. And the Lord God will give him what? He'll give him the throne of King David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. This is that promise being fulfilled in none other than Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then as he's born, the angels continue to proclaim, Luke 2, 13 to 14, we read this morning, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, many, many angels And they're praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. The kind of peace that Jesus came to bring was a restoring peace. It was a peace of restoration of his order on the throne of David, this eternal promise forever and ever and ever. You know, we live in a temporary peacefulness in our country. Like I said before, we're the sixth most peaceful nation. And so I think it's hard for us to wrap our our minds around the magnitude of the peace that is promised to us. We, we look at peace sometimes from just a surface level. We think that it's just the ending of wars, signed peace treaties between countries, or just having a safe neighborhood, a place where the kids can play and we don't have to worry a whole lot. Everlasting peace promised can sometimes just come across as an accessory to our lives, right? As an extra, an option on our already peaceful existence. We can't be looking at it that way because that's not the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring. Jesus came back to reorder his rule, to take his rightful place upon the throne, to rule in righteousness and justice forevermore, both right now and also to come. So true peace for you, for me, for anyone only comes through the return of this Prince of Peace. So as we know, he's already come. We read the scriptures. We know 2,000 years ago, he came, he lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended to heaven. He is coming back. This Advent season reminds us to look at what was promised, but it calls us to look forward to the Prince of Peace who's coming back. This miraculous child born 2,000 years ago, this Prince of Peace... 
He was born into our chaos. He was born into our misery. He was born into our humanity. But he's coming back to restore peaceful order. And this is peace that cannot be found in this world. You know, the world would tell you, you need to find that inner peace within you. Peace doesn't come from within us. Peace comes from outside of us. It comes from the Prince of Peace himself. Jesus himself said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. That peace can't be found in this world. It is only found in Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. Ever since the fall of humanity, we have been distorting and twisting God's good order. God had a good design. Go back and read Genesis 1. Everything he created was good. He creates man and woman. It's very good. But then we sin. We choose to disobey our good and faithful and holy God. And disorder comes into the world. Disorder in our affections. Disorder in our relationships. Disorder in our homes. Disorder in our society. Disorder everywhere you look. There is disorder. If you ever looked at uh, the world today, and, and I'm sure you do it every day, and sometimes we shake our heads, and we say to ourselves, this place is crazy. And we're right. It is crazy. This world is upside down. It's out of sync. It's out of sync with the order of the king. But the message that we have as Christians for ourselves and for the world is that there is one, there is a prince of peace who has come to reorder his creation, to restore order out of our chaos. Jesus came to do that. He has done that already but not yet. This has been inaugurated in his coming, in his life, in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection and ascension. It has been started, but he is coming back to consummate this reality. It's happened already, but not yet. Already in the sense that in the cross, he worked his sufficient plan to reorder our chaos And as Christians, he continues to reorder our chaos day by day as we give ourselves to his word by his spirit. He's rooting out our chaos. He's restoring order. When we think of Jesus on the throne, a right order is to sit underneath his order. That's what he came back to do. That's what true peace is. And he's coming back. He's going to finish what he has started. When he comes back to judge the living and the dead, his order is going to be restored perfectly and infinitely forever. And so Jesus had to come as a prince of peace to restore his order, to bring peace into his kingdom. Longing for that day, just longing for that day when he will come back and there will be peace on earth forever and ever and ever. Restoring order. He also came to to renew his creation. Jesus had to come as a prince of peace to renew his creation. He came to bring peace in the universe. You know, one of the biggest lies that, that we embrace in this world right now is that anything is allowable, anything is accepted as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Don't believe that lie. Like, the world is telling you, you be you, I'll be me, as long as we don't hurt each other, you can do whatever you want. It's not going to affect me. That's not the truth. How do I know this? Well, just look at our parents Look at Adam and Eve. How did that work out for them? And how is that working out for us? When Adam and Eve sinned, all of creation became stained and corrupted. 
And then the rest of humanity, following along with them, continued in that sin and continued to corrupt the order of God and to corrupt and destroy what God has created. And this doesn't just affect ourselves. This affects other people. And this goes to the outer edges of the universe. When we look at the universe, the universe is dying. The universe is decaying and it is dying. We see dying stars. We also look within with the strongest microscopes and we see that cells are dying. So from dying stars and decaying cells... We have to remember that all of this came into being not because God brought this in, but it's because of our sin. It wasn't meant to be this way. It was our own doing. So as Adam and Eve sinned, all of creation was cursed. For Adam, if you remember, the ground was cursed. That ground that once sustained him so freely and so abundantly was now cursed. God says to Adam in Genesis 3, 17 to 19, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow and your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Adam's life was now full of toil, full of sweat, full of anguish. He had to fight the earth now to eat and then God is showing him, you're going to die as well. For the woman, God says to her, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Friends, it wasn't supposed to be this way. Just think about it. Before Adam and Eve sinned, mankind and all of creation was at perfect peace and harmony with God. Perfect peace and harmony with the creator and the creation. No sin, no problems, perfect harmony. Just think about it. There was no disease, there was no death, there was no sin, there was no disobedience. Every molecule, every atom was in perfect harmony and order with its creator. But it was because of our disobedience, disobedience to the goodness and the righteousness of our Creator, that the curse of sin has come into the world, the curse of sin that has infected every minute facet of all of creation. Friends, there is no molecule, there is no atom in all of creation right now that is not stained by our sin. We infected all of it. Paul teaches us this in Romans 8, 22. He says, For we know that the whole creation, not just part of it, the whole creation has been groaning, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. I love that connection with, with the curse of the woman here as well. These pains of childbirth, all of creation groaning under the curse. This was our own doing. So when we look out into the world and we see all the disorder, when we see the chaos, when we see the stain, when we see the infection of the curse of sin everywhere, what we're seeing is our creation groaning under the weight of our sin. Groaning in constant, never-ending, childbirth-like pain. But the beauty of the gospel is that as as the world groans in pains of childbirth, it was through the pains of childbirth that Christ came to save us from the pain, from the toil, from the curse. He was born 2,000 years ago as an everlasting king, this prince of peace who came to bring us peace. The ending of groaning, the removing of the curse, he came to relieve the pain, and he came to renew his creation, like it was before we sinned. Now, I know that every one of us are suffering 
in various ways. Maybe not right now so much, but sometime in your life you are going to suffer under the groans of creation. You're going to suffer the pains that we experience. Every one of us are suffering or will suffer in various degrees. As I look on to, to our church here, I know the challenges that all of us are facing. There's not one of us here who is untouched in some way by the scars and the pain and the stain of sin in our creation. Some more than others. We all are going to have our experiences in suffering because we live in this fallen creation. But Jesus came for our suffering. Paul says in Romans 8, 18 to 21, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Creation is waiting. Creation is groaning and waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. God subjects the creation to the toil, to the curse, in hope. That's one word to circle there if you're looking in your, in your scriptures. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Jesus came to set his whole creation free from the groaning, free from the pain, free from the curse, free from the suffering. Like the song our little ones sang this morning. No more let sin and sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground. You ever wonder where those lyrics are coming from? It's coming from the curse. He came to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. How far is the curse found? Everywhere. Far as the curse is found. So when he comes back in power, when he comes back in glory, suffering will be no more. You know, right now we've been, you and I, if, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have been set free from the power of sin. But yet we still live under the effects of sin. We still live in a world that is fallen. But our Savior is coming back finally and powerfully to forever relieve us of our suffering. Remember, we've already studied in Mark, there's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Right? We're going to be raised to glory, perfected glory. Whatever's ailing you now, whatever, whatever suffering you're experiencing is going to be absolutely gone. You're going to be who you were created to be in perfect glory. He came to renew his creation. When Christ comes... We also learned that he's going to come as a mighty warrior. He's going to destroy Satan. He's also going to come and destroy creation. He's going to destroy the universe. Why is he coming to destroy the universe? Well, it's because our sin, the curse of sin, has so infected the whole universe that the creation has to be destroyed. Creation has to be destroyed. In the very last chapters of the Bible, we see what is to come, right? As Jesus comes back, he's going to judge the living and the dead. He's going to deal his, his final death blow to Satan and all of his minions forever as he throws him into the lake of fire. But then Revelation 20, 11 says this, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. That's Jesus. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. He's destroying the universe. Friends, the whole universe is so stained. It is so marred. It is so polluted because of our sin. Eternal destruction is necessary. But it doesn't stop there. When we see Revelation 21, 1, what does it say there? It says, Then I saw a new heaven, and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. They're being destroyed and the sea is no more. But there's this new heaven and a new earth. 
Jesus is coming back as the Prince of Peace to renew what was broken, to renew his creation. Friends, heaven is not going to be a grand hotel in the sky in the clouds. Heaven is going to be the new heavens and the new earth. We are going to live on a new earth. It's going to be a new planet. It's going to be recreated the way that it was supposed to be, the way that it was before sin came into the world. It's going to be pure. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be free from sin. It's going to be free from death and sickness and disease and suffering. Revelation 21, 4 to 5. Can't read this section enough. You cannot meditate on this set of verses in Revelation enough. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. It's been dealt with completely, perfectly, forever. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is coming back to make all things new. Far as the curse is found, he's going to make all things new. What a glorious thought that needs to be in our minds. When we're thinking of peace, let's not just stop with here. Let's not just stop with a safe neighborhood. Let's not just stop with peace on earth. What, how glorious that would be if there was no wars across our planet. But that's so temporary that's so small compared to everlasting peace. Far as the curse is found, he's going to make all things new. That's what true peace is. Everlasting peace in the perfect universe forever and ever and ever. No more wars. No more disasters. No more destruction. No more decay. We're in an age that really loves our universe, and we should love our universe. As much as we want to try to save what we have right now, it's not going to be saved. It's going to be destroyed. There's no amount of recycling, no amount of reusing, no amount of repurposing, no amount of renewing in our own strength that can save this planet. I'm not saying we don't do these things. I say we do do those things. We're called to be good stewards. But let's be careful. We're replacing our hope. Our hope is not in this universe. Our hope is in the new heavens and the new earth, the prince of peace. As much as we are concerned about CO2 levels and plastics and toxins, we need to be so much more concerned about where we are with the Lord. Because our problem is so much deeper. Our problem is so much more eternal than here. We need to care, what the Lord, care for what the Lord has given to us. Yes, be good stewards, but we need to be careful that we need to be more concerned that souls are perishing in this fallen creation. We as Christians are called to be going to the people, going to the nations, going to our neighbors, going to them with the gospel, going to them in their suffering, going to them under their weight of sin and sharing with them the good news that there is a prince of peace who has come to relieve them, to renew them, to restore them through repentance and faith. And so we need to let this brokenness that's all around us compel our feet and move our mouths with the gospel because it's through our sharing of the good news that people are restored, that people are renewed. They need a prince of peace. They need a prince of peace who will deal with the universe once and for all, who's going to make all things new. They need everlasting peace. They need perfect harmony as it was intended to be. So true peace, we've already seen two sides of it. True peace is a restored order. 
It's also a renewed creation. And finally, what we're going to see here is that peace is a reconciled presence. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to reconcile his presence. He came to bring peace in the kingdom, peace in the universe, but even more than that, he came to bring peace with God. Peace for you and God. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. In Jewish culture, instead of meeting somebody and just saying, hey, how are you doing? You say, shalom. And shalom means so much more than, hey, how are you doing? Shalom is a question almost as you greet somebody. It's a question, do you have peace? Are you at peace? Ultimately, what they're asking each other in this greeting is, are you at peace with the Lord? Are you at peace with Yahweh? The Christian life is all about being at peace with God. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole point, to be at peace with God, because we were at war with God. And we can only be reconciled to his presence through the Prince of Peace, the only way that we could be brought to this place of reconciliation with the presence of God is by God sending himself. We couldn't go up to God, right? We've tried. We've tried in our own efforts. Every other religion in this world is trying to work their way to God. Do good things. Maybe you will do enough good things to please God. That's going to get you nowhere. God had to come down. Because you can't get to him. And we needed to be reconciled to his presence by him sending his son. And his son is his royal agent. When we see here that, that this promised Messiah is a prince of peace, focus on the word prince here for a moment. Prince means that he was sent by the sovereign. Prince means that he is a son of the sovereign. He is a, a royal representative he is the one that represents the sovereign. Which means the only way that we can be reconciled to the presence of God is through the son of the sovereign. The one who came to make peace. And how did he make peace? He made peace through his blood. We should never tire of hearing this glorious truth. That through the life and the death and the resurrection of God's Son, we can have forgiveness. We can have life. There's no matter of trying, working, or being good that we could ever earn the favor of the sovereign. Because our sins against his holiness were too massive. His righteousness is too great. When we sin against him, it's, it's, it's cosmic treason. But he, in his love, as the sovereign, sends his son, his prince of peace, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's his heir. That's his beloved prince. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Have everlasting life. Everlasting peace. Everlasting life is not floating on a cloud in your own glory. Everlasting life is being in the eternal presence of our righteous and holy and loving God forever. Friends, that's what we've been made for. If you ever think about why am I here? What have I been created to do? What is my purpose in this world? What, why am I even here? You were created to be a worshiper of God. You were created to be in his presence forever. That's our whole purpose. Worshiping him, loving him in his presence forever. Now we know that the Bible, the Bible ends with heaven, right? We see the beginning, we see the end. The last chapters are showing us heaven, but we have to remember that heaven is the same as what we had before the fall. And when we're talking about the presence of God, 
before we sinned, the very presence of God was with his people. The very personal, intimate, holy presence of God was with his people. It was perfect. It was harmonious. It was pure communion forever and ever. There was no separation. There was no sin. There was no rebellion yet on our part. It was just pure, perfect, obedient love and worship forever and ever. It's what we were created for. It was true peace. The Garden of Eden was peace on earth, the eternal presence of God with mankind. And so the whole point of our Christian life is to get back to the garden. It's to get back to God's very intimate, personal, holy presence. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about getting back to the presence of God. Getting back to his intimate, personal, holy, abiding presence. And that is why he had to send his son. That's why Jesus was born. That's why he was lying in a manger with swaddling cloths. That's why he grew up. That's why he lived his life. That's why he had ministry. That's why he would heal people. When we were were studying the gospel of Mark, we'll be returning there in a couple weeks, we see Jesus over and over again healing people. He did it out of love. He did it out of compassion. But what he's showing in that is that there is so much more. The point of all of those healings is to talk about eternal greater realities that one can be at peace with God, one can be renewed, one can be reconciled back to him. That's what Christmas is about. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We were singing about Emmanuel this morning, God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt Dwelt means God was dwelling with his people through Jesus Christ. Jesus is 100% man, 100% God. When he's here, God is dwelling with his people. He came down, word became flesh, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that baby in the manger, that baby in the manger was the very presence of God on earth, the exact imprint of his nature. God with us on earth, God with us in his life, God with us in his death, God with us in his resurrection, God with us in his ascension. God is with us right now. How? By the Holy Spirit. Right? As Jesus ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit, God's very presence to dwell within Christians, within the church. But his presence is also to come. His presence is also to come in the new heavens and the new earth. So it's all about God's presence. Not presence in the sense of what he gives us, but presence in his own personal, abiding, loving, eternal intimate relationship with his people. This is what it's all about. That's what this book is about from from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about God abiding with his people. When we look at the garden, God was with his people intimately. We sinned. We had to be cast out of his presence because of our sin and his holiness. But then God's people, under his instruction, build a tabernacle. God's presence fills the Fills the tabernacle. His presence is with his people through the tabernacle. Later they build the temple under his instruction. God's presence fills the temple. Then by by our sin, our continual sin, his presence leaves the temple. And Jesus comes down. The word is made flesh. And Jesus tabernacles with us. By his spirit, he also tabernacles with us. But this is already not yet. We're waiting for what is to come in the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. There is going to be a city. There is going to be a tree. It's coming back to the garden. Revelation 21, 1 to 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Remember, creation is being destroyed. But then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God, the eternal presence of God. This is what it's all about. Christmas is about a prince of peace who comes to restore his order, who comes to renew his creation, who comes to reconcile his presence. So this Christmas, let us focus not only on the temporary things, right? Go out and enjoy each other, but let's remember to focus not on the presence under the tree, but on the presence of our Lord, the presence to come. Let's focus our hearts and our adoration on the coming eternal presence of God who brings peace in the kingdom, peace in the universe, peace in the presence of God forever and ever and ever. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end it's going to go on forever and ever and ever in the throne of david and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore as isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 says the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this this is god's doing this is his plan from the very beginning, he had the plan to send his son out of love for us, for his own glory, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So as we Advent, right, which, which means we're remembering the anticipation of this promised Savior, we're also adventing, we're also anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be soon. It's all about his presence. As we close today, we're going to light the fourth candle. And the fourth candle is going to uh, represent uh, love. These four candles, as we remember, are representing light coming into the world as more revelation was being revealed through the scriptures, through the prophets, more information was being given to identify who this Savior was going to be, where he's going to come from, who he descended from, what kind of Savior he's going to be. So as Isaiah was already revealing that he would be Emmanuel, God with us, and now we've seen he's going to be a wonderful counselor, he's going to be a mighty God, he's going to be an everlasting father and a prince of peace. All that was left for the people as they heard this was to, mate, was to wait amidst the war. They had to hope and wait and anticipate and believe in the coming Savior. And so as you and I are waiting our returning Savior, we need to wait in hope and joy and love and peace, trusting that he is coming, that he is coming soon, and he's going to take us into his eternal presence. So as we close, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and then we'll light the candle as we take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray.